This is the Florida Spectacular Podcast with your hosts, Kathy Silustri and Rick Kilby. Keep up with Kathy at GreatFloridaRoadTrip.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Kathy Silustri. Find Rick on Twitter at OldFLA and visit his website, RickKilby.com. Now, discover a Florida you never knew existed. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Florida Spectacular Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Kathy Celestri, joined by Rick Kilby. Uh, we like to call him the, the god of the springs, but like a modern-day god of the springs. And we are joined today by Brad Bertelli, who is what the folks down south call an honorary conk. Welcome, Brad. Well, thank you so much for happening, you guys, for yeah. having me, you guys. Yeah, it's been great. You were... <laughs> You were on the podcast a million years ago, which in internet world, I think is two. Um, has it been just two years? It has, has been. Has it already been two years? Wow. Yes, it has already been two years. I am always amazed because Chad will, uh, Chad is our producer. He will go ahead and um, he knows when to make it a new season. So I'm like, what? how are we in season two? How are we in season three? And, you know, I, I'm so used to television land where I feel like there should be a big cliffhanger at the end of one of the seasons. But I guess that's not how podcasting works. Um, anyway, so, yes, you were you were season one guest and people love listening to you talk about the keys. Um, and uh, starting after the first of the year, our listeners who subscribe uh, subscribe and pay a small fee for premium content are going to get at least two episodes a month of Brad talking about Keys history. And you're pretty popular down there. I, uh, I, yeah, I've, uh, I, I'm thrilled with the uh, embrace that I've received from the Florida Keys community and those who love the Keys and uh, follow me. Well, you've been there for a while and um <clears throat> I met you, wow, six, seven, eight years ago, something like that. At least, and yeah. Since then, your whole Keys history enterprise has has exploded because now you have several books. And I was down there over Thanksgiving, and you said, "Hey, every Thursday I'm at Robbie's Marina. Pop by and see me. I, I talk about history." And I go to Robbie's and it's Thanksgiving day and there's like, Robbie's has like two bars, a bunch of fishing charters, um, a nice restaurant, gift shops, all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, well, I'll just walk up and see Brad. And I walk up and there's like a line to talk to Brad Bertelli about Florida Keys history. I'm like, all right, I guess I'll, I'll wait in line to see my friend. I didn't realize I was going to have to like, you know, take a number like at the deli counter just to <laughs> sit down and talk about Indian Key. But it was cool. It was cool. They they have embraced you indeed. Um, when we talk about the Florida Keys and you go there now, one of the things that I find relatively fascinating and I find a lot fascinating about the Keys, but this is where this podcast intersects with with what Rick is so very good at is there's no there are no springs in the Florida Keys. There's no fresh water. And people chose to live on this little chain of rock. Uh, that what, what did Ponce de Leon call them when he sailed by them, like Los Matires or something, like the old yeah. men or something. But there's no what did they drink? Just rum? Is that why the keys is the way it is? <laughs> or 
I'm not sure rum was around yet, at least in the Florida Keys back in the uh, 16th century. Um, but there was fresh water. I mean, there there was definitely fresh water in the Florida Keys, and you know it. it uh, and most of the early communities, and even the indigenous populations, you know, kind of centered around where these freshwater springs bubbled up. Ooh, where were they? Yeah, Rick, go you do you. I'm sorry. Well, my question is, what, where did the, um, what is the source of the water from these springs? Because, you know, the Florida aquifer, which supplies most of the water for the, you know, the, the most of the peninsula of the state, I don't, as far as I know, doesn't go extend to the Keys. So is it the Biscayne aquifer or are there other aquifers down there? No, it's, the, it's the Biscayne aquifer, which okay. still is the source of our fresh water today. Um, of course, now it's piped down from, it, from the well field up in Homestead. But, you know, back in, you know, 18th, 17th, 16th, 15th, and all those earlier centuries, there were a number of freshwater springs. Not every island um, had them, um, but there were, you know, there were dozens, if not more, uh, between Key West and, and, and the Northern Keys above Key Largo. It's so, kind of mind blowing to me that uh, so the wa- all the water fresh water now is pumped down from Homestead. Is that what you're saying? So there's a, there's a water pipe that follows a one or US one all the way down, thirty six inches in diameter. Oh my gosh! It takes about uh, ten days to uh, two weeks for a drop of water to uh, get pumped down from Homestead or up from Homestead and reach Key West. Wow. And that's only that only you know became available in 1942. So before 1942, you know the Key West had you know some uh, uh, freshwater or desalinization plants, you know, um, but the rest of the Keys relied on on um, cisterns and you know bringing water in. That's so, fascinating. Go so ahead, it was rainwater. I mean, that's that's basically. How how people survived is they depended on the the rain for for water because there's a lot of it, were I, not on every key right no but the you know but the but the communities that the pioneer communities and the indigenous people and their you know villages and, and their campsites would you know be around sources of fresh water because you know it's it's the most important thing to survival and there you know and, there, and historically there are you know tremendous resources and one of the things that you know we, we you talked about indian key earlier and one of the things that made indian key which is my favorite island in the florida keys uh the second you know such an important stop along the reef line and it's about midway along the florida reef and and the the bahamian sailors referred to it as k comfort because they had a naturally deep harbor and had a reputation for being relatively mosquito free and um but one of the reasons that you know it was became popular is because that on lower matacumbi key there were five freshwater wells uh, kind of found where the parking lot of robbie's marina is today and they were about four you know about four feet of diameter and, and three or four feet deep and they were considered historically some of the most reliable sources of fresh water in all the Florida Keys. Okay. I want to back up for a minute. Cause you said something else and the fresh water is fascinating. You said there's no mosquitoes on Indian key. Yeah. That's one of the things it's about a mile offshore in the Atlantic. 
and there's no fresh water on that island. So, and naturally, fresh water uh, mosquitoes require fresh water in order to breed. Oh. Um, and so, and with the headwinds, you know, flying from you know the Matacumbis, and, and in those days, you know, mosquitoes are annoying today, but in those days, it was you know, these large electric buzzing clouds of, of of mosquitoes, mosquito hordes, you know, bloodthirsty little vampires, you know, swamping down and and um, feeding on everything, you know, that that emitted carbon emitted carbon dioxide and um warm blooded, you know, and um. But that's one of the things, and that's probably why that's that probably is what put the comfort in the name K Comfort. So, <clears throat> no, but it, it, so all we all need to do is just move somewhere where we could potentially die of dehydration, and the mosquito problem goes away. <laughs> I never thought of this before. So, so these. <laughs> but these people who lived on Indian Key and those of you listening if you have not been to Indian Key that's probably because you can't just hop on a ferry boat and get over there easily uh yet yet you can take a kayak um but it's right if you're driving towards Key West on US1 and you see Robbie's Marina which you can't really can't avoid to your right out of the passenger side and you look over out of the driver's side over towards the Atlantic, you will see this little island. <clears throat> and I've kayaked out there a few times with you, Brad, and without, but where is this deep harbor? Because it seems like it's fairly shallow all around there. I mean, is it on the southwest side of the island? That's the only thing I can think of. And what is deep? How deep was the harbor for their ships? Well, it, it was a deep harbor. Uh, Henry Flagler had something to do with uh, destroying that um, deep harbor. And it was about eight or nine feet deep. When when Flagler built his railroad, um, you know, from the mainland down to Key West, the Key West extension of the Florida East Coast Railway, he essentially built a dam between Upper Matacumbi and Lower Matacumbi Key, and that's, that's a couple mile span. And he did not use bridges, but rather railroad fill. And as he did this, and the and the locals warned him not to do it. You know that that there needed to be some way for the water to move between Florida Bay and the Atlantic Ocean, but because you know Hemingway or Hemingway, because Mr. Flagler, you know, and his men decided to do their own thing, they built railroad fill, essentially creating a dam, and because the water could no longer pass freely between the Florida Bay and the Atlantic Ocean, it just sort of eddied on the Atlantic side, and you know that that all that silt that would you know move which moved before Henry Flagler came to town. Now just kind of swirled and built up and that deep harbor filled in. God bless the Yankees knowing better than us Floridians since apparently the 17th, 18th, 19th century, right? Beginning um, of time. Yes. Yeah. It's it's, but it's wild. So, okay. Let's go back to what would this be? Let's say 18, 1803. There were people on, there were European Americans, people of European, European American descent on, Indian Key in the early 1800s, right? Early 1800s, but Indian Key was important also, you know, in the 15th and 16th century and 17th century because it was a well-known source place to get, you know, fresh water, not physically, but the European sailors navigating the Straits of Florida, you know, traveling between the old world and the new world could approach Indian Key, take their, their long boats, you know, in the Indian Key, and then um, it's a you know it's it's less than a mile to Lower Matacumbi Key, where they could fill their water casks with water with, with fresh water. So that's one of the reasons why Indian Key became so important and historically, 
But, you know, but we shouldn't get really fixated on just Indian key or lower Matacumbi key. And that wasn't the only wells. There were several wells on, on lower Matacumbi key. There were wells on, on, you know, freshwater wells on Key Largo, um, on, 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 uh, on Grassy Key, on, you know, on Bahia Honda historically had, had a freshwater source. You know, Key West has, you know, still what they call the pirate well, which is still kind of a, a semi-tourist attraction. It's just somebody's front yard now with a little sign that says pirate well. But you can take a picture of this little, this little, uh, you know, water coming up. But there, there were historically, you know, many uh, freshwater sources. And over time, as as South Florida began to develop and Miami began to develop and once the engineers did their wonders with the Everglades and dammed it up and you know and uh, kind of ruined the Everglades, the, that that freshwater um, that the, the, the aquifer lowered in, in, in depth and a lot of the wells disappeared. But also hurricanes, um, you know, with, with with the debris blowing through, kind of also filled them up and and you know and they disappeared as well. So. <clears throat> There is one, and I thought it was still, I was I was misinformed, which to those who know me comes as no shock that I could be wrong about this. On Big Pine Key, I thought there was something called Blue Hole or Alligator Hole or something that I thought was a freshwater spring. And I think you told me, is it just last week, two weeks ago, that that was not really a freshwater spring? It, it, it's a freshwater spring, but it's, it, it's man-made. That was, then it's um, not a spring. Yeah, I mean, but there's water underneath that bubbled up. What, uh, you know, it, once, but when they were, it, it was a quarry site during construction of the Oversea uh, Highway when it was first developed in, in the 1920s, and it that's when you know they kind of broke free and and, and it hit the aquifer. And it is largely freshwater, um, but there is a, it's a it's you know a tiny bit brackish, but it, but it's largely a freshwater source and used by the key deer and the raccoons and the turtles that live in you know in there and, and there's freshwater fish as well as some tarpon which can can uh, um kind of live in, in both wait but how did the tarpon get to the the salt water i'm not sure so this should, this should be a great place to go tarpon fishing it's like they're, they're literally small. shooting fish yeah. in a barrel I'm not sure that I, I may have misspoke with tarpon. I'm going to, I, I think there's some tarpon in there, <laughs> um, but I, I, only because I'm thinking that tarpon, you know, do hist- can historically survive in, in, in fresh and fresh water and, um, and, uh, and, or, or slightly brackish water, at least for short periods. Maybe I lied to you on air for this and I will be, you know, <laughs> castigating myself, give me myself have, some, some, some lashes for, uh, we, we have penalties for that. So, yeah. um, Expect to be flogged later. I know. I I, I apologize to the to the world for for saying that. But but there are but the, but but it is uh, but it is a freshwater source today that that, a, that the blue hole on Big Pine Key that kind of was brought to life in the 1920s. Well, for what it's worth, I'm sure it's not the first time a historian has uh, lied to people, but at least you didn't do it intentionally. So, yeah. To me, I'm not I'm not that worried about it. Um, <laughs> No, I'll, I'll find out. Next time I'm in the Keys, I will find out exactly if there are tarp in there. And, uh, you know, unless everybody's beat me to it and said, oh, never mind, we're going to go, we're going to go fish and take them all. So Kathy well, can't perhaps, catch any. Yeah. Perhaps the alligators ate them as they were growing up. Well, I mean, it'd be tasty food. Um, you know, 
I mean, I understand tarpon. Well, tarpon isn't a good food, though. Tarpon isn't a good fish, is it? Nobody likes to eat tarpon. I think historically they may have dined on them, but they're very bony. And uh, so they're, it's more of a sport fish. But, you know, the whole time I've known you, I've never heard you talk about fishing. You're not a fisher person, are you, Brad? I am not. Right. What drew you to the Florida Keys? I knew I was going to be a writer. And, well, I, you know, that's, I, I knew I was going to be a poor writer and I, <laughs> realizing is, is there, is there a, an opposite of that? Are there wealthy writers other than Stephen King and um, what's her name? Who writes all those um, Harry Potter books. So there's, oh, yeah. there's like three of them out there, right? Well, yeah. There's Stephen what, King, the woman who wrote those hideous twilight books and uh, JK Rowling. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Well, isn't it like 5% of the writers make like 95% of the money? Uh, something I'm like not, that. I, I wouldn't know. If I get to that 5%, I'll, <laughs> I'll let you know. Uh, but, I, but, but, but to answer your question, yeah. the reason I, I, I wanted to live on an island um, was I wanted to make sure and live where I wanted to vacation because I wouldn't be able to afford to go on a vacation. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I had a friend, my friend Russ, we've known each other since we were in seventh grade. And he is, I think, I think his director of bands, he's up at Gettysburg College now, but he went to UF um, because everybody has some some flaws and um, got his PhD. And he got offered a job while he was working on his PhD as the uh, band director at Marathon High School. And Russ loves to scuba dive, would go down to the Keys at least once a year to scuba dive. I said, why didn't you take the job? And he says, I can't live where everybody else is on vacation all year. Um, so of course he moved to Gettysburg, which is never visited by tourists, but I guess it's not as tempting. Um, and that's what, that's what I say about, you know, we, Rick and I do not live in the Florida Keys. Rick lives inland and I live on the Gulf coast, but still we both live in places. People save up all year to go on vacation. And I, that still blows my mind sometimes. I mean, as much as I write about Florida and I love Florida, there's, you know, Rick, how many times do you have to deal with, say, traffic on Semeron Boulevard or I have to deal with US-19? And in the middle of it, it's hard to remember. Um, people save up all year just to come here for a week. And I mean, it must be even worse than the Keys because you you are constantly assaulted with people on vacation. Like, I don't, where do you go if you want to get away from people who aren't trying to recreate some sort of Jimmy Buffett rum-soaked experience. I guess you're not going to tell us on the air, but... Oh, well, we love to go to Captiva. Which is my first Florida home. But uh, yeah, I, we love to go to Captiva. Oh, Cap a lot of people in the Keys go to, go to North Carolina. So we have people by us who are starting to buy property up in North Carolina. Yeah, it's been big around here for a long time. I think if you go, you go to certain places like Highlands, North Carolina, all the cars you see have Florida tags. Really? So that's yeah. interesting because I got um, a book in the mail, and I would like to talk about it on the podcast, but it's it's a kind of a fundraiser book for a historic home in the Keys, and it's called Key West. It's called Key West Sketches, and it's this really great book. It's Writers at Mile Zero, and it's little essays from little essays. That sounds so uh, condescending, but they have fairly well-known writers writing about their experiences in in the Keys. And 
it's a really neat little book. I like books that have essays that are engaging and fun because sometimes I, I'm a little um, obsessive when I read. I will want to sit down with the book and read it cover to cover unless there's a really good stopping point. And this book has a lot of places where you can just read one essay and keep going. So it's got um, Meg Cabot, who is a lovely fiction writer, Judy Bloom, who runs books and books in Key West. She owns it. I think she runs that in the studio as like a nonprofit. Uh, it has some wonderful Keys writers contributing essays. And I was talking to Brad about it off off the show and because it is published um out of North Carolina and it's it's so weird because it says um uh the Durham Arts Council we gratefully acknowledge the ongoing support of general operations by the Durham Art Council's United Arts Fund and the North Carolina Arts Council and the whole book is about essentially Key West and writers living there so I'm like well why didn't why didn't the Key West Arts and Historical Society under why why North Carolina? And Craig was the one who said there's a big tie or Craig. Um Brad, you said there was a big connection there. And that's when I started to think, yeah, people here are buying property in North Carolina too. I mean, is North Carolina the new Florida vacation spot? Well, it's like reverse snowboarding, you know, so it's like Wintertime in the Florida Keys and then summertime when it gets hot, miserable down here, up into the mountains in North Carolina where it's cooler. Okay. And historically, you know, like Asheville has been a big destination for people. And, you know, when in the 19th century, when people started to believe, you know, the being outside is healthy, places in the mountains became very popular. So, I mean, it's been a destination for a long time, but I think, you know, as Florida continues to get hotter and we start to feel the effects of climate change, I think there will be more and more people who tend to, to want to get away. I know personally what I like is I like just to have rocks. You know, this Florida is, you know, our part of Florida is mostly sand, but I love, you know, seeing boulders and being near rocky streams and, you know, having that sound of the water going over rocks. I love that kind of stuff. I I can see the appeal. I do enjoy spending time in the Carolinas. I don't think I could ever move there full time, uh, but it, it is a different type of nice to be in nature. But I do think people will. I mean, the keys are full. I, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand where they can put more houses in the Florida Keys. It just to me, it's a I wasn't that great with geometry in high school, but it does seem like, you know, you need you need space to put the circle in the or the the square in the little key. You know, you need a space for this piece of land, and people are going to have to find somewhere new to go. Oh, just wait, Kathy. There was a, just an article in the Miami Herald um, talking about how they're going to open up the Florida Keys to more construction. Where more houses? Where? Um, I'm not sure because it's you know there's you know. One road in, one road out. The traffic is already horrible. It's too expensive to for people to live down here who, like, for instance, are in the hospitality industry. They're for those, you know, in the upper and the middle keys, people are already driving, you know, uh, hospitality workers and those who, you know, who can't afford to live here but but work down here. The traffic is already ridiculous, even in the slow season. Um you know, for instance, they were working on one of the bridges this week, and it took me two hours to go, or it took me an hour to go two miles, 
and I sub- subsequently missed a historic commission meeting down in Marathon. And um, but it's yeah, I'm not sure where they're going to go. Uh, that that one pipe of water just last year, um, it's it's aged and it's it 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 ruptured, and they had to shut it down. You know to you know, kind of block part of it off. And as they did, the power, the pressure that built up um, in the, in the pipe, uh, like five miles ahead of it, uh, two more places exploded. Oh gosh. And we're, t- and, and apparently there was a bus driving over one of the, one of the places, like, like a, like, like not a Greyhound, but like a, you know, a, 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 a bus bringing, you know, people. And um, it, it, he he was like I apparently did a great job of of not crashing the bus because as he was driving over the road that's when that's when it exploded the the, the water burst through it and and physically moved moved the bus as he was driving it. Wow. Um. So that's a problem. It, I mean, <laughs> sure. Yeah, let's it, let's keep building. It seems like a swell idea. It does. There, there's limited space. Um. There's you know limited you know two one lane. Going each way, the traffic is—it's already too congested, um, and then the, you know the lack of, of resources, natural resources, and what's yeah. So it's that's a whole different conversation that I, I don't want to jump into. But I do want to read a quote that was um, from a, a diary that was written in, in um, the 1880s uh, by a, a woman named Sarah Perrine who lived on Indian Key um, in 1840. And she talks, and she gives a wonderful firsthand description of one of the freshwater springs, freshwater springs on Lower Matacumbi Key. This is not the ones that we talked about previously, and there is still, you know, one, uh, one that's that's that's. I'm not sure if it's still viable, but it still kind of percolates once in a while. But here, listen, and 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 Rick, I think you will appreciate this as well. So this is Sarah Perrine, whose father had come to Indian Key uh, and set up a, 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 a tropical plant company. He had a temporary nursery. Um, he was going to move up into the uh, into, onto the mainland in what is today what is today Perrine, Florida. But there was this whole thing called the Seminole War that made the mainland dangerous, and so he uh, against against uh, people telling him otherwise not to come to the Keys. And during this time, he and his family were on Indian Key. And so this is his, and he took his daughter over to one of his, uh, one of his little plant, plant areas. And this is what she wrote. And this is what she wrote. He soon brought me to a spot where he parted the branches and there was a fairy grotto. In the center was a small sparkling spring, perhaps 10 or 15 feet across. Various cacti in bloom and fruit with other flowers upon the banks. The overarching trees interlacing their boughs while innumerable air plants in full bloom added brilliancy to the scene, the sun scarcely penetrating. So that's that, that was her description of, of one of these uh, springs that was on Lower Matacumbi Key, and no one knows where that spring it was it is today. Wow. Fairy, fairy but beautiful, grotto. But beautiful, yeah, a, a beautiful. And then so, four days later, um, the Indians didn't attack Indian Key, and Dr. Perrine was was famously killed. In oh, gosh. Well, I mean, at this point, the Indians were probably like, oh, more white people. This is not going to work out well for us. You know, I and no disrespect to the Perrines, but I kind of get where they were coming from. 
So, but I would like to know where that spring was. Yes, it's one of the, it's, it's whenever I talk about or give a presentation is this comes up, that's the first question. Where is that? And, and no one knows where it was. I've, I've looked, I've stomped out in those, in, in the woods. It was thought to be about a mile from the, like, like, like a half mile or three quarters of a mile from Robbie's out in the woods. And there is a place out in the hammock that is um, kind of a depressed area that roughly looks about the same size. Of course, it's dry now, but that, that might have been where it was. You know, springs come and go all the time. And, you know, as the water level lows, gets lower, you know, in the aquifer, they, they dry up and people don't realize, I don't think that the that's a frequent occurrence. Uh, there was a, I posted something about Kissingen Springs, which is up here in Polk County, which, you know, dried up as a result of phosphate mining and completely dried up for the most part. And so springs in some ways are ephemeral. And it sounds like that, that wonderful grotto she described may have been an ephemeral spring that no longer exists. Yeah. But even in like, even in 1940 or 1946, one of the first families to move, uh, to Lower Matacumbi Key um, was a family by the name of Stark and Buck Stark, the patriarch, um, talks about seeing remnants of, of, of the freshwater spring, of, of a freshwater spring on the on the property back in the, as late as the 1940s. Interesting. We have, yeah. um, I'm sorry. Go well, on. there's, you know, the, we really don't know, you know, to have an exact count of how many springs there are in Florida because like some of them, they only bubble to life during certain conditions. You know, Bill Belleville waited till there was a drought and went into the Seminole Swamp or the Seminole State Forest up here and took a topographical map and looked for low spots where he thought, you know, the, the surface or the groundwater might be high enough and the, the ground level might be low enough. So there were springs there that are normally underwater when it when there's more uh, water on the surface and he found a couple of springs that nobody had named before and he had the opportunity to name them and i i think um to me that's exciting that you know that we can't these things are so kind of magical that we can't put an exact number on them and they come and go all the time but it's also sad that you know this beautiful paradise um is probably no longer in existence I always tell people uh, the count. I think the last time I saw an official count on Florida Springs was 933. And when people ask, I say, you know, it's it's probably better than a thousand because that doesn't account for anything on private land or anything with what, what, what I believe Rick has called historic flow, right? Anything that um, was once a spring but has since dried up. I think you're safe saying well over a thousand. I mean yeah. – Doctor, and you you consider some of them are just little trickles, and and some you know there's then there's water table springs. You know everybody around here says the lake is spring fed, and including the lake that I live on. And I, I don't know if there's a spring or not. I know when we get a lot of rain, there's mysterious bubbles that come up in the middle of the lake that look like you know water is percolating from the bottom up to the top, and I think it's just you know a surficial seep or or what they would you know a water table spring where the water level gets high enough. Um, it, it comes out from a surficial aquifer, not from the, you know, the, it's not an artesian spring from the uh, aquifer. So it's a surficial one. And I think there's probably the springs like that all over the state. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's a way to find out how many there are. And I don't think we should because, I mean, look at what we do to the springs we do find. I mean, the ones that are obviously, I don't think there's a first magnitude we don't know about. I'd be no, shocked. That- 
but it, well, unless there are, you know, there are some that bubble up under the water. You know, the, the yes. in terms of the flow, the largest one is in the Panhandle in the middle of a creek. Um, but I, I do think, like, I agree with you. I, I love the kind of magic that we don't know. But what what Brad was talking about the the difficulty in living in the Keys this day is a cautionary tale for the rest of Florida. You know. And maybe that's it. You know, the keys are like a canary in a coal mine. You know, I was you... just going to say that. Perfect. <laughs> and to piggyback on what you just said, Rick, about about um, bubbling up water, bubbling up in other water sources, there are there are still you know freshwater sources that are bubbling up out in Florida Bay and even out you know out on the Atlantic side, and because fishermen will talk about you know. The, where the manatee will will gather and, and, and drink out of this this fresh water coming out from from the bottom, you know, out, out in the middle of the bay or, or or somewhere. And there's lots of historical accounts of of, of people, you know, uh, filling up their water casks out in the ocean where these where fresh water sources were coming. Wow, that's 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 you really want to live in Florida. <laughs> well, there's a famous story of one in Biscayne Bay that supposedly the Spanish galleons would stop there and they would fill their water barrels, you know, while at water at sea, technically, because the you, they, I guess there was enough separation between the saltwater and the freshwater that came up with such force. There's another big one off of Crescent Beach that's well known too. Uh, they call them in in my what's kind of my Bible, it's bulletin number 31 on the Florida Springs uh, prepared by the United States Geological Survey, which kind of has all things springs. Uh, they call them submarine springs. And once it's oh, cool. all right. the water. Cool. All right. Well, uh, Brad, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, folks, if you want to hear more about Florida Keys history, some of it aquatic, some not, uh, <laughs> sign up for our, our premium level that'll start the first of the year makes a great christmas gift for somebody who loves florida and uh if not rick and i will be here every week with wonderful free content for people who love all of florida and uh rick i'm so glad that you're my co-host and brad i'm so pleased you're joining as as the new bonus host yeah i can't wait to there are so many great florida key stories to tell and uh, this Florida Keys Spectacular is going to be just that. I'm looking forward to it. Um, one shout out. This is not a paid link, but in what we're talking about, there is a great St. Pete apparel company called Last Local. And I'll put the notes in the show notes. And their T-shirts are all, your state is great. Don't move here. Uh, <laughs> and uh, everything about talking about the podcast, the, the state today made me think of them over and over. So they're... Uh, not paying for me to say that. I just love, love, love that they've made a whole career. This guy has made a career out of T-shirts about, yeah, Florida sucks. You shouldn't move here. And he's he's based in St. Pete. So <laughs> <laughs> he needs to be an official official T-shirt maker for the Florida Spectacular. <laughs> yes. Well, we're working on that. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining us, everyone. And we will see you next time on the Florida Spectacular. Have a great day. <laughs>